Welcome to Truth and Charity. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes, and we always like to begin with the Angelus. Do you have any intentions for our Angelus today? I think we should pray again for peace in the world. Okay. Um, you know, Our Lady at Fatima asked us to pray for peace, and I think um, given the situation in the world today, especially with North Korea, it's, it's a good thing that we uh, ask the Queen of Peace to intercede for us. We also have with us our first ever live studio audience, so they'll be praying with us and we'll introduce them right after the Angelus here. I am really happy to have these three young people with us today, Kyle. Very It'll good. be great. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, talks with three high school students from St. Pius X Parish in Granger. Together, they discuss common struggles facing young people, including how to make time for prayer and continuing faith formation past confirmation. If you would like to submit a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future show, you can send a text using the Holy Cross College text line, 260-436-9598. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and with us today, not only do we have our good bishop, but also some guests from the South Bend area. So welcome to Fort Wayne, and welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We're actually going to do things a little bit differently today. Instead of having a conversation followed by some questions, I thought maybe we could start with their questions and that might spur some conversation. So if we want to go ahead and get started with one of the questions from our, our high school students. This isn't like stump the bishop, is it, Kyle? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, go ahead if you want to just step up to the microphone and, and introduce yourself and what your question is. Hi, I'm Jeff Murphy. I'm a junior in high school. I go to Marion High School. And my question for Bishop is, how can I develop a strong prayer life when there are so many demands on my time? That's a great question, Jeff. And Jeff, I know you and the other two young people here today are from St. Pius X Parish in Granger. And uh, I recognize you because I understand you served at the new St. Pius Church dedication. So I'm gonna ask you a question, I'll get to yours. <laughs> okay. But how do you like your new church? 
I love it. It's a beautiful church. You have two priests there. I'm going to put do. you on the spot. <laughs> okay. Monsignor Schooler, and then you have a newly ordained priest. I don't know if you've met him yet, Father yeah. Eric. Yeah, I have. He's Are they doing person. a good job? They're doing a great job. <laughs> okay, so if they're listening, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just want to check. You know, I want to make sure my priests are doing well, and I know you have two wonderful priests. Right, Monsignor Schooler is just fantastic, and and I was so happy to ordain Father Eric, who has so much joy and is going to do a great job. And um, you're a junior at Marion, and yeah. Marion's such a, a great high school too. Mm-hmm. How do you like Marion? Actually, I am transferring. I haven't gone yet. I am. I was homeschooled last year, oh. and I'm transferring uh, to Marion uh, this upcoming school year. So, oh, that's wonderful. I yeah. think you're going to like it a lot. Yeah, nice. I'll see you there because I I visit the high schools. Right. Yeah, very good. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Now I'll get to your question. <laughs> that's a great question. How to develop a strong prayer life when there's so many demands on your time? You know, that's that's a question a lot of us have. Even as bishop, sometimes I struggle to make sure I have enough time for prayer. So, so you're finding that as a struggle. But, but I think it, it's a matter of saying, okay, what's most important in my life? And when we, when it is our relationship with God, when we're really conscious, yeah, God's the most important one in my life. Then we have to think, okay, how much time am I able to spend? Really, St. Paul says we should pray always. So all throughout the day, at different times, we could say a little prayer to the Lord. That's, that's great. So we think about God sometimes throughout the day. But then I think it's important to have actually a set time. Now, for me as a bishop or for our priests, we're obliged to pray the Liturgy of the Hours four times a day. So that's, that's kind of something that's in our schedule. And of course, we have daily Mass. But even for us, it's important to have another period of time just for silent prayer meditation. And I always recommend for our priests and for myself a holy hour every day. At your age, what I think would be most important is to try to get into a daily rhythm, a daily schedule of prayer. My recommendation is to always begin day with a prayer, even if it's just when you get out of bed to say the Our Father or something, that you just begin your day with the Lord and that you end the day when you go to bed with another prayer, thanking God for the gifts of that day, maybe asking his forgiveness for any sins that day. I always say the act of contrition before I go to bed. I've done that since I was your age. But then in addition to that, I would say try to find some time, maybe a set time, maybe it has to change depending on your school schedule, but maybe 15 minutes that you're going to try to spend just being with the Lord and praying. You know, maybe you could stop in the chapel at Marion, maybe say a rosary or just be there with the Lord, or maybe read the gospel and, and meditate on it. You know, there's no one set thing. You know, God gives us the freedom. It's kind of, we all have our own way of praying. But I'd say always at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, and then maybe like 15 minutes in the course of the day. There might also be opportunities, which I highly encourage if they have daily mass somewhere that you could go to. I didn't start going to daily Mass until I was in college, but that changed my life. Daily Mass is a, is a beautiful gift. So hopefully that helps, Jeff. It does. Thank you. So yeah. I'll use those ideas. I like the decade of the rosary a day. Uh-huh. I'll try to fit that in sometime. So Great. Try to make it happen. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yep. 
All right, and then Lauren, would you like to ask your question? All right, I have a bit of a different question. So it's been about 60 years since the last ecumenical council. So do you think there will be another ecumenical council in the next few decades? If so, what could be some possible topics that are discussed there? No one has ever asked me that question, Lauren. <laughs> but before I, one. Yeah, it is. You're going to be a junior at St. Joe High School? Yes. Excellent. How do you like your... Well, for you, it's not a new high school because it's been the, there since uh, you've been a student. How yeah. do you like your high school? I love it. It's just a great school. And the advances that we are taking in technology have just really promoted education. And we're doing really well. Yeah. Oh, I love the St. Joseph High School community. Tell me about how you like your chapel there. Oh, I love the chapel. I could go in there like before lunches or after school with like Right to Life group. And it's just this, the artwork and it's all featured around St. Joseph. And it's just beautiful to look at. And it almost wants to make you like skip class to so just go in there and pray. Yeah. Yeah. Is that allowed? Well, oh, sure. <laughs> I don't do see so. why not. Just say Bishop said I could go to chapel instead of class. All right. I'm going to use that one. When yeah. The test tell comes your principal, up. Mrs. Richter, that I mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Lauren, I'm glad to hear that because that was like. Like when we were designing the new high school when they were before they built it that was where I was most involved was what uh, was the chapel and I I love it too I love the art uh, and the windows all about the life of St. Joseph I love to pray there too so I'll get to your uh, question now about do I think there will be another ecumenical council in the next few decades I don't know I mean who knows if there would be I think there's good reasons to have one to be honest the church is really facing some major challenges today, especially in the area of the nature of the human person, what we would call anthropology. And connected to that would be not only the church's defense of the dignity of every human being, but also connected to that would be the meaning of marriage and the purpose of marriage questions in sexuality and gender you know with the gender ideology today so there's some some things that really strong cultural currents that go against the truths of the faith and i think if all the bishops of the world gathered with the pope and ecumenical council those would be important things to talk about and how we can do a better job in teaching and proclaiming the dignity of the human person the sacredness of marriage, the purpose of marriage, the meaning of human sexuality and its purpose, the nature of the human person as created by God, either male or female, how that has been rejected now by the whole movement that we can call in general gender ideology. I think these are huge topics and, and can really be, some of these trends can be so damaging to society and to the future. Pope John Paul II said that the future of humanity humanity passes by way of the family. So we need strengthening of marriage and family life in our culture. So I think those would be topics that would be really important. Another topic at an ecumenical council, and I think we think of this especially with our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is the, um, the whole idea of... Um, so many people living on the periphery, so much suffering and poverty in the world, and the crisis of the huge number of refugees, displaced persons, and how the church is trying to take care of them, but their dignity. So I think those are all topics that would be 
important in a in an ecumenical council. On the doctrinal area, I think it'd be more in the area of, as I mentioned, theological anthropology and marriage, sexuality. But then on the pastoral area, things like the huge migrant refugee population in the world. So thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. What does it take to put together an ecumenical council? Is that just the Pope calling it and then it happens? That's right. Yeah, it'd be a decision of the Pope. Everyone in the world was surprised when Pope John the Twenty Third called the Second Vatican Council, especially because he was elected. He was already how old? Eighty. He was an elderly man, and here he there hadn't been a, an ecumenical council for since the Council of Trent in the 1500s. So that was really a a big surprise, but it's a huge event to have when you think about it. I mean, to bring all the bishops of the world together, I mean, that's a huge effort. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm Alyssa and I'm from uh, Penn High School. I'll be a sophomore. And as someone who goes to a public high school, I know that out of the Catholics that I go to school with, it's difficult for some of them to continue their faith life past their confirmation. And so how would you suggest that we as a parish and as a community uh, could keep them engaged in their faith? You know, that's something I think about a lot. Um, first of all, Alyssa, like I did with Jeff and Lauren, I'm interested about you. You're, so you're going to be a sophomore at Penn High School. Yes. Are you involved in youth ministry at St. Pius? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. I go to the youth group and retreats. Oh, good, good. Is it a, uh, a pretty big youth group at St. Pius? Yeah, it's fairly large. And Okay, good. And, and do you enjoy it? I do, yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. I think youth ministry is so important. I think that's part of my answering your question, that what happens too often is young people after confirmation their religious education comes to an end. And when I celebrate confirmations, I'm always saying, you've just only begun to learn about the Catholic faith. So it's not, confirmation shouldn't be seen as like graduation from religious education. It's just beginning. So that's why it's important that our parishes have good, strong youth ministry programs. And the youth ministry should include some catechesis it's not just getting together to have a good time that's good okay that's fine but there needs to be opportunities to learn more and study more about the faith and then what as you mentioned the retreats there's also that spiritual component it's not just something intellectual but also growing in your relationship with christ so experiences of prayer together are really important and learning to pray I honestly think it's the responsibility of parents to make sure that their children, their teenage children, continue their faith life past confirmation. And that would include going to, if they have religious education classes for high school students, or as a lot of places have uh, youth ministry programs, youth groups like St. Pius, that parents should really make sure their children go to that. You know what's sad for me sometimes is some see other things as just as important or even more important, like other activities at school. So they get very busy. But why I I think they should put at the top is the continuing, continuing formation of their children in the faith. And, and to not have this erroneous idea that they fulfilled their responsibility by making sure their kids got confirmed. That's definitely not enough. So I'm glad you're involved. And I think you can do, I think it's also important for you and others your age who are involved in youth ministry to invite your peers 
to come with you. Um, I think you can evangelize at your age. And that's one of the graces of your confirmation is you receive the Holy Spirit to help you to share the faith. So Alyssa, I, you know, perhaps you already do that, huh? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Good. I know it's not always easy, is it? Right. You know, but I think it's great to do that. And, and every parish, I think, should really give priority to youth ministry. Youth and young adult ministry needs to be a priority. So thanks a lot, Alyssa. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, I want to invite all three of you to go with me to Panama in January 2019 for World Youth Day. Do you want to go? Yes. Yes. Sure. Good. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, coming up, we will answer more questions from our high school students. If you have any questions that you want answered, you can submit those at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And we've got more coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with three of our high school students that have been asking some questions, and they they have some more questions. So if you're up for it, Bishop, we'll let them take it away. Good. All right. Lauren, you have another question? Yes. All right. So until the Council of Trent in 1563, priests were not required to remain celibate. Do you think one day this rule could be changed back to the way that our society is changing, especially with the topics that we talked about with the ecumenical councils? Yeah, no, very good question. I think I would like to answer that by saying, actually, the discipline of mandatory celibacy, the rule forbidding priests to marry, really began in 1139 with the Second Lateran Council. Wow. So, and then the Council of Trent reaffirmed that. Okay. So it really goes back to 12th century. But in addition to that, going back to the year 304, there was a council in Spain, and there was also this discipline in other parts of the church, where even though priests were allowed to mar- marry before they were ordained, once they got ordained, they had to live in continence with their wives, which means they could not engage in conjugal relations. Okay. So I, I, I mention that because I think a lot of people think that priests were living up until the Second Lateran Council, married like any other, where they're engaging in conjugal act, having children, et cetera. Well, that's not really true because back in the fourth century, already they were expected to live in in continence, you know, refraining from conjugal relations with their wives. So it's actually more it's an older tradition than some people think. Of course, the tradition goes back also to Jesus, who himself was celibate. So anyhow, that's just some historical things. Okay. But I would say, can the rule be changed? Yes. We have married priests in, um, in the Eastern Catholic churches, not in the Latin Catholic church. The discipline is in the Latin Catholic church. But Byzantine Catholics, Ukrainian Catholics, they allow married priests. We also have some Episcopalian priests or Lutheran ministers who've converted to Catholicism and they're already married, they've been allowed to continue to be married. So there have been some exceptions like that to the rule. And it is a disciplinary rule. But we believe that celibacy has great value for various reasons. It allows a man to give himself with an undivided heart to the Lord. That's what St. Paul says. And it's an imitation of Christ and his celibacy. So we think it's a really, really good thing. I do not anticipate a change 
in the law of celibacy because it's been a law for the past, as I said, uh, a strict law since the Second Lateran Council, but even you know, going back to, to the fourth century, some would even say even it was there even earlier than that. So it is possible that it could be changed, but I think because of its value, I don't anticipate that change, but I'm not the Pope. Okay. He would be the one who would, would make that. Now, I would say throughout tradition, this is really important, once a man was ordained a priest, he couldn't marry after that, ever. Oh, okay. So in other words, he'd have to get married before ordination. And that's the same with the Eastern Catholic churches, even the Orthodox Church today, hmm. which allow married priests, but they have to be married prior to ordination. I once did a visit to an Orthodox seminary, and I met some guys, and they were finishing their studies. And I said, oh, when's your ordination? And they said, Bishop, I don't know yet because I want to get married and I can't get ordained and then get married afterwards, so I'm going to have to delay ordination until <laughs> huh. I find the right woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for that question, Lauren. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. All right, and Alyssa, you have another question? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm curious, uh, how and when did you discern your vocation? Well, I think the f- idea first came to me when I was in seventh grade when I was confirmed. That was the beginning. But I only really discerned it when I was a sophomore in college. I was at Mount St. Mary's College in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and I was really struggling about whether to get married or was God calling me to be a priest, which was God's will for me. And I remember very distinctly in October of my sophomore year of college, I went up the mountain where the college was. It was Mount St. Mary's on a mountain. And there's a beautiful grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes. And I was just praying there real hard, you know, asking Our Lady to to intercede. And I felt this, like, how do I describe it? Like I was flooded with this sense of joy and peace with the idea of serving God as a priest. So I saw that as a key moment because it was right after that that I went to the vocation director and began the process. So I would have been 19 years old, a sophomore in college at that time. Yeah. So thanks. Thank you. And Jeff, I think you have a follow-up question to that. It's almost the same question. It's how did you know that God was calling you to become a priest? Yeah, you know, and that's, Jeff, you know, that's a great question because how do we really know? I, I think it is from what we call the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, I mentioned that I felt this joy in, the, uh, in my heart, this interior peace about the idea. And I believe that was God's grace. That was the Holy Spirit saying, I'm calling you to the priesthood. You know, I've met not many, a few guys in the seminary who said that they think it's God's will for them to be a priest, but they're miserable about it. Hmm. They don't want to be. And I'm like, I don't think that's God's will. Right. You know, where's the joy? Where's the peace? I mean, if it's God's will, he's going to give you joy and peace about it. So I think that's how we, we kind of know. And sometimes it takes a while. It takes a lot of prayer to kind of discern what God's will is. But I hope every young man is open to the possibility that this might be God's will for them, just as I hope every young woman considers the possibility of becoming a religious sister, that we should never kind of close the door on these possibilities. And especially your age, this is the time to at least begin discernment 
and to uh, to think about it and then to pray about it not get stressed out about it you know I know some who get so stressed out like that they have their whole lives figured out by the time they graduate from high school well I didn't have that you know and then once I was in the seminary then even in entering the seminary isn't necessarily 100% sure we have guys who enter because they think it's God's will but they're still in the process of discernment while they're in the seminary well thank you you're welcome all right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have more questions from our high school students. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop and submit your questions there. And we'll have more here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, joined with three high school students here, Alyssa, Jeff, and Lauren, who have been asking their questions to Bishop. And we're, we'll take a few more questions from them, and maybe we'll let uh, we'll have a little conversation, see how it goes here. So, uh, Alyssa, would you like to ask another question? Okay, what is your favorite prayer and why? Oh, good question. There's different ways I love to pray. I love to do what's called Lexio Divina, which is a prayerful reading of the scriptures where I, I kind of imagine myself, especially with the Gospels, where I'll take some time and read very slowly a Gospel passage, and I kind of use my imagination like I'm there with the apostles or with the disciples or whatever. That I love to do. It's Lexio Divina. But as far as a prayer itself, I would say the rosary. I remember St. John Paul II once said that was his favorite prayer. And I think for me, I love meditating on the mysteries of the rosary. And it's kind of easy. I like to do it when I, if I go for a walk or while I'm driving the car sometimes, or sometimes in a chapel in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. But you know, I'm really curious, Alyssa, what's your favorite prayer? The Hail Mary. The Hail Mary, yeah. good, okay. It's beautiful, because we have the two parts. We have the Annunciation, the words of the angel Gabriel, but also the words of Elizabeth at the, at the visitation. So good, yeah. I have a uh, great aunt who always talked about praying the, the golden Hail Marys, saying three Hail Marys together, and that's been a custom that I like. Good, thanks, Alyssa. Thank you. I was curious, Jeff, what's your favorite prayer? My favorite prayer is probably the rosary. I try to find time during the day to at least uh, fit in one decade of the rosary, if not the whole rosary. Oh, good. You know what I do sometimes is I'll, now not when I'm driving the car, but sometimes I'll read the scripture passage that goes with the mystery before I do that mystery because it helps me to focus and meditate better. Mm -hmm. I like to do that. Now I'm curious too, Lauren, What's your favorite prayer? My favorite prayer would probably be the Our Father because it's like the central prayer of our faith. And just when you say it, it really just brings you back to home and makes you think about everything that our faith is really about. Yeah. You know, every line of the Our Father has meaning. There's a beautiful thing at the end of the catechism, the last part of the catechism of the Catholic Church, which does like a, a, ref, a meditation or a reflection on every line of the Our Father. Wow. And it's really good if you get a chance to read that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll find that. Sure. All right, Jeff, do you have another question? What can I say to people who have a hard time believing in God because they see so much suffering in the world? Jeff, you just asked me the most difficult question of people. It gets to what we call the problem or mystery of evil. We could talk about this a long time. It's really probably the most serious question or problem objection 
to the existence of God. There are people who've abandoned the faith because of, of suffering, and they, they just can't accept that there's a good God who allows it. But I think there is a Christian answer to this question, to this problem. First of all, we know that everything God created is good, that it's not his will that we have pain and suffering. Suffering entered the world because of human sin. But the thing where you see the struggle with human suffering throughout the scriptures, the book of Job is, you know, all those bad things that happened to Job and how he struggled with the mystery of evil, with the suffering in his life. That shows that this has been a perennial question. So again, the cause of suffering ultimately was original sin. But anyhow, what happens when it's in our life, a serious illness or someone that we love dies or we, what's even most difficult, the most difficult experience in our life can see some, when we see someone that we love in a lot of pain or suffering. I think the solution to this problem is God's son, Jesus Christ, the father's love for us is so great that he sent his son to embrace our human suffering, to suffer for us, and to suffer with us. So his passion, his crucifixion, and what was the result of that? He defeated the power of evil by the power of love. So this is part of God's solution to the problem of evil. It's the cross of Jesus. And so when we suffer, the important thing is to unite our sufferings to the sufferings of Jesus, to take up the cross with him. And then our suffering doesn't, doesn't seem useless. It has meaning. It has purpose. There are times where I've seen where suffering can bring about even good in the life of a person. Suffering can bring people closer to God. They turn to God more, maybe repenting of past sins. But then there are others who, when they experience suffering, they rebel against God. They turn away. I always think of those words of St. Paul to the Romans, that all things work together for good for those who love God. And I think that includes suffering. Suffering can work for good to those who love God. And again, we see that in Jesus. Think of the good that resulted from his suffering, our redemption, eternal life. So it still remains a mystery, you know. Mm -hmm. When someone asks me if I visit a sick person who's having a lot of struggle, they'll ask the question, why? Why is God allowing this to happen? Well, first of all, God isn't causing it, but why does God allow it? It's a mystery we'll only know after this life, really. But I do trust that it's for our ultimate good as long as we open ourselves to God's grace in our suffering. So, Jeff, I hope that's somewhat helpful. It is. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. And Lauren. Okay. My last question is, what do you think about the tension between the Catholic Church and political leaders and their views towards the church? You know, they're a good question. There's always been tensions between the church and secular civil leaders, I think, because obviously the church proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to spread his kingdom in this world. Political agendas don't always line up with the church's agenda. So therefore, 
what our responsibility is is to bring our teachings to bring the good news of christ the truth of the gospel to worldly realities especially our moral teachings but they don't often don't line up with the agendas of various uh, political leaders but there should always be civil dialogue in other words I think we have a responsibility to let our voices be heard. At times, the bishops will, we will express support or opposition to legislation in Congress or support or opposition to an executive order of the president. We don't do it on all issues. It's just those that have important social and moral repercussions. Of course, there is tension at times. But I think we always have to dialogue in mutual respect. And there should always be respect on the part of the government for the religious freedom of the church and for others as well. That's a big tension because there are those who want to force the church to do things or allow things against our teachings and they attempt to violate our religious freedom. That's very dangerous for democracy and for the good of society and the world. So the church is called to be a prophet. Sometimes we're on things we teach are unpopular with one political party, but popular with another. You know, if we are, you know, we're pro-life and we want to defend the lives of innocent young people, well, the platform of the Democratic Party is pro-choice. So that creates a tension. When it comes to an issue like immigration, um, the Catholic Church is very strong on justice for immigrants and generosity, the humane treatment of migrants and respect for their dignity. So that would not be in line with the uh, platform of the Republican Party. So we shouldn't get mired down. I mean, we're above both political parties in the sense that we aren't guided by political platforms. We're guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it has the teachings have come down to us through the authentic magisterium of the church. We should be Catholic first and try to live and promote our faith within whatever political party we belong to. So thanks, Lauren. Thank you. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll have a little bit more conversation with our high school students here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman and joined here in the studio here at the Archbishop Knoll Center with three of our high school students and want to continue the conversation. They've asked you a bunch of questions. I thought maybe we could throw some questions at them, Bishop. Yeah, and I've asked them questions, but you know one thing that's really important, I like to listen to our young people to know what's on their mind. So they've asked questions, so that really helps me to know what are on young people's minds and, For sure. and to be able to, 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 to share some ideas with them. I'd be curious also to know like what are some of the challenges that they face in living their faith mm -hmm. these days at their age. Anybody have any struggles or, or th things that you see in our world that make it difficult? Jeff? I think it's uh, hard to find time to set aside to pray with distractions like either social media or homework or, or extracurriculars. Just finding time to set aside and just uh, focus on your prayer life. I think that's one challenge that 
teens face. Yeah, it is. And I think even adults face that <laughs> challenge, say. too. And we talked about that a little bit already. You know, another thing, too, is, you know, the distraction of the phone. When I go to pray, I leave the phone in another room so that I'm not distracted that's just a practical thing i think some people are so you know attached to their phone like they can't let it they can't separate from it i think that's not healthy i think we need to get away from that but again i i'd get back to the fact that there's nothing more important than our friendship with christ that we t- make time for that that best friend yeah so thank you and lauren what about how our generation is so caught up in like materialistic things and how we need to always have like the newest newest phone or clothes or whatnot? Yeah, good question. And you know, you're kind of, because of the way the media or whether it's Hollywood or businesses, you're looked on as consumers and yet you're more than a consumer. You're a beloved daughter of God and that's your primary identity. So I think it's important to recognize that you don't want to be just treated as a consumer, as an object, really, through whom people can make money. So that means we have to get away from that stuff sometimes, you know. We have to turn off the TV, turn off the computer, make sure we have quality time with God, quality time with family, quality time with friends. I think that's the one of the negative things about some of the advances in technology is that um, it can become so all-consuming. But as far as material things, I also think that there's that false message that you're going to be happy if you have this latest thing or you're going to have these clothes or this car or whatever that brings happiness. Well, it may bring some happiness, pleasure really, more than happiness for a time, but it's not lasting and it's not deep. Jesus said he came that we might have joy and our joy might be complete. Well, we're not going to have that kind of joy from material things. It's going to be from love. It's, it's the joy that comes from giving of ourselves. And it's the joy of friendship with Christ, the joy of the gospel. So that's a great question. But I think it means a certain withdrawal from the world sometimes. In other words, to refrain from filling up all one's time with busy things or with TV or media and just having some silence. The world is so busy and so noisy. That's why I think with young people, I know so many uh, young people, teenagers like you, they love Eucharistic adoration. And I think to myself, why is it that young people love that time? And I thought to myself, it's because they don't have it in their life. They don't have that quiet time where they can just focus on Jesus. Yeah, I agree with that. about three weeks ago, I attended the Steubenville Conference over in Ohio, and we had like um, Saturday night we had Eucharistic Adoration, and we got to do it for like probably almost two or three hours, and it was just incredible to see how many teens were just like on their knees praying and in tears of how like powerful just Eucharistic Adoration is, and it just really makes you think about like we're so busy with our lives, and then you come and there's over two thousand students who are all just believe all in the same thing and all are thinking about how wonderful our faith really is. So that was a really like different experience that really strengthened my faith. That's beautiful to hear. I'm glad that you had that opportunity. Yeah, it's beautiful to just be there in the real presence of Christ. But we need to have more of that in the sense of you were able to go to the conference. That was great. And you had that experience. But then to have it 
those kind of experiences more in the lives of our parishes and that yeah too yeah thank you you're welcome and Alyssa, do you have any examples of some of the struggles that our high school students are facing these days? Uh, yes, I think that teens have a lot of problems putting their faith life first before all the other busyness, busyness like school and athletics and just in general life. Yeah, I yeah, it's true. It depends, too, on how one, I, I think about this sometimes, how one is brought up. Because especially if a teenager is brought up in a family where there's not much as far as prayer together or putting Christ at the center, putting God first, they can get caught up very easily in other things all the time because they haven't been raised. But I do know others who've been raised in a way that they've kind of have that already habit of, of, of prayer and everything. But, but in any case, it's interesting hearing from all three of you very, very similar questions. And I just am glad that you've recognized this issue. It kind of makes me think about the first commandment of the Ten Commandments when God said that we should have no false gods before him. We should basically he's saying we should need to put God first in our life. Or as Jesus said when he summed up the commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, your whole soul. And that's really what this gets to, doesn't it? It gets to putting God as more important than sports, more important than study academics, more important than than anything else. I think that's something for all of us to examine our consciences on that, young people and older people as well. So thank you. Thank you. Well, before we go, I do want to mention that there is an upcoming synod for young people, the faith and vocation discernment. And one of the things that we're doing with the diocese is a survey of the young people. And you can do that at youngsynod.com. Synod is spelled S-Y-N-O-D. So youngsynod.com. And we're encouraging all young people, or and there's also people that work with young people, also not just Catholics. There's several different options whenever you go to the website for uh, what your role is and if you're Catholic or non-Catholic, and people can fill that out to get an idea of what uh, is going on in the lives of the young people and how we can serve them better as a church. And my understanding is this is going to help out the diocese, but also that information gets passed on uh, for the American church as well as the international church. Exactly, because the World Synod of Bishops in October 2018 is bishops from all around the world, representative group, meeting with the Pope to look at young pe- uh, the situation of young people, their faith, their vocational discernment. This is important information. We want to hear from our young people, kind of some of these things that our young people here today just said. So we have the survey here in the diocese, then we'll do a report with the results of the survey and send it to the USCCB. And that'll go with all the reports from dioceses all over the United States into a summary report that will go then to the Vatican. Um, So, yeah, I encourage any young people or those who work with young people to fill it out. I like the idea also that we're including non-Catholic youth Mm -hmm. because that'll help us to understand in our work of evangelization what their issues are. So you fit in that category of young adults, Kyle. How old are you? Uh, I don't even know how old I am. 38, 37. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you're past the age, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm almost at the senior citizen age myself. So does that 59. mean you have to, once you cross over, do you fill it out twice? 
hey that's a good idea one for each of your youths <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much to our visitors, Lauren, Alyssa, and Jeff. Thank you, Megan Swain, for for lining this up and bringing them down from St. Pius X. And thank you, Bishop, for joining us again today. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. And thanks to our young people. Join us every Wednesday at noon for Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes with a special encore presentation on Saturdays at 11 a.m. If you would like to ask Bishop Rhodes a question for him to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or send a text using the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. Thanks to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this program.